Welcome to Mac Geek Gab. Our opening quick tip comes from Martin, who says uh, Apple Notes defaults to showing the last edited time of the note. But sometimes you want to know when the note was created on the Mac, on iOS and on iPadOS. Tap the edited time at the top of the open note and it changes to show the created time. Tap it again and it changes back to the last edited time. More tips like this, plus your questions answered today on Mac Geek Gab 964 for Monday, January 16th, 2023. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and indeed. Welcome to Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in tips like that. You send in your questions. You send in your cool stuff found. We share it all. We try to answer your questions. Sometimes we have questions of our own. Sometimes we have tips and cool stuff found of our own. The goal is we put it all together so that we can each learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include... Private internet access at PIAVPN.com slash MGG, where you can go to save 82% off your VPN service, plus four free months. We'll talk about those details in a minute. And LinkedIn jobs at LinkedIn.com slash MGG, where you can go and post your first job for free. We'll talk more about all of that in a few minutes for now here in Durham, New Hampshire, with the tree guys grinding things up outside. I'm Dave Hamilton. <laughs> And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, where they're still doing construction across the street from me. They're out to get us, man. Love it. <laughs> yep. Making that noise. Uh, in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. And here in Lee, New Hampshire, uh, and I've got a respite for a day. They were supposed to be banging on my roof this morning, but they're not. So in Lee, snowy Lee, New Hampshire. Yeah. It's Pilot Pete. Good to be back with you, gents. It's good to be back. And it seems yeah. like uh, at least you and I brought home an additional souvenir from uh, from CES. Well, you know, Pete. you know. <laughs> yep. Yep. At least this year, I know the name of my CES crud, the the the, yeah. the CES whatever it is. So you know, there you go. It'll it'll end soon. I seem to be doing all right. But uh, yeah, man, I can hear that thing grinding outside. I'm, I apologize, folks. They weren't supposed to be here for a couple hours, but when the tree guys come, you let them do their job. Uh, because otherwise they might not come back. Wayne is going to help make this valuable, though. He has a fantastic tip. He says, I'm a blind Apple user and came across this tip that may be of use to anybody who wants to create a spreadsheet from a particular list of contacts. Open a blank numbers spreadsheet. Select the contacts that you want to have in the spreadsheet. If you want all the contacts in a particular group, just press Command-A to select all. Then drag the selected contacts from the contacts app into the spreadsheet and they will be imported into the spreadsheet with each field in the contact put in a separate column. You can then quickly omit the columns that you don't need, add other information that you might want, sort, etc. But it pulls all of it in, in a column format, uh, all split out. So I, I had no idea. I love tips like this. Love it. Love it. Love it. This is why we do this show. It's, it's one of the things that I love about doing this show. Yeah, so. that's uh, that's a great tip. And you, then you can sort it, obviously, once it's in an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, exactly. You know, alphabetically, something like that. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. But just as long as you're talking about contacts, the other thing I'll tell you I do, Dave, for instance, uh, we send out a little something to the people that uh, appear on our show. And on so, so there I was. On, on US? So there I was. Yeah, there sorry, not on this show. Yeah, if yeah. you're here, you get nothing, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you will like, like it. it. That's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we sent something out. Well, I, I I put that in there in just in the notes. Hey, it was sent, and then I can go back and do the search field, and go hey, sent, and it come it all come. You know what what I send them. It was sent. I put just put that in the search field, and all the people to whom I have sent it comes up. Ah. Uh. So you can like search that. for, you know, yeah, something that you've just put in the note about the That makes individual. Oh yeah, so treating the notes almost like a like a tagging feature, right? Like yes. if you're consistent about what you put in there, then yes. you can search for it. Oh, I, yeah, that's a good idea, man. I like that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Hey. Terry has a quick tip for us. It, it's actually a YouTube video. I'm going to play the audio of it. Well, if you're watching this on any format where you can see the video, then you're going to see the video as well. But I think the audio from this uh, works on its own. Terry has a, an answer for, uh, for well, something we helped to create, a problem we helped to create last week. We talked about how on the Apple Watch you can create uh, multiple timers. Well, the problem is as you start creating more and more timers, as you create custom timers, they don't leave. They stay in your list. And there is no obvious way to delete them. Terry has a way to help. Hi there. We're going to take a look at a interesting problem that may be bothering you on your Apple Watch. If we open the timer, you may see stacked up timers you've run recently that have nothing to do with what you're doing right now. And if you try to swipe to the right on one of those to clear it, you get the opportunity to favorite that and no opportunity to delete it. So play along with me for a minute. I'm going to swipe that one and favorite it. Swipe the next one and favorite it. Swipe the next and favorite it. And swipe the last one I've got currently out there to favorite it. And now they're all up there favorited. Now, stick with me. Swipe those. Delete. Swipe. Delete. Swipe. Delete. Swipe. Delete. And now, all of those pesky favorites are gone. And you just see custom and the pre-builts. Hope this helps. Yeah, it's the same swipe to the left that you – this is one of those weird UI inconsistencies from Apple, right? You Who'd have thought? Yeah. Yep, you swipe to the left, and you can favorite it. And then once it's favorited, then swipe to the left gives you the option to delete. I, the, you would think, you know, swipe to the right to favorite, swipe to the left to delete. You know, I don't know. And maybe there's another way that uh, Terry and we have not figured out yet. I have found it. If, yeah. in fact, you have, folks – Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's where we'd like to hear from you. Hold on, where? Feedback at MacGeekGab.com? If, if I think must. he said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Uh, okay. What did Scott say, John? <sighs> Scott says yell at Apple. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Now, here's what Scott says. Um, I am sure you have seen the requiring notification about background items being re-added. And yes, I have one right in front of me, Dave. Login item added. Thing will automatically open when you log in. You can manage this login in login settings. And this is right. new in Ventura, these things. Yeah. And, and another alert that you'll get, uh, and he put in a, 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 a screenshot, 
background ad- items added is another one that you may see. Um, uh, so, and he said, um, I just had a lovely chat with an Apple senior advisor. OMG, our internal chat application throws this error every 15 minutes. You can be rest assured engineering is very aware of it. Um, and we've provided them diagnostic laws, uh, uh, diagnostic logs. This is what None the, of this is what the Apple it. tech has mm-hmm. said to Scott. Okay, I just want to compartmentalize that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, none of none of them can fix it either. Um, she also said the advisors had a lot of off the record thoughts about the new system settings app. Uh, she asked me to have all my clients provide feedback at apple.com slash feedback so that they get a better idea of the importance of this fix. We encourage you to do the same thing. In fact, we've put a uh, a link to Apple feedback in the show notes here at Macika. But yeah, if you if there are inconsistencies in user interface wonkiness that you don't like about Ventura, Apple is literally asking for our feedback. So by all means, folks, let's let them have it. There you go. The cool thing yep. about that site, though, is that it isn't just for Ventura. If you've got feedback for it, it's all there's all these icons there: iMac, Mac, MacBook, Apple Watch, AirPods. Click on one of those icons and give them feedback about that product. Like that's awesome. I didn't yep. know that was there. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I, uh, as a follow up, I found an article titled "MacOS." 13 Ventura background items added notification still troubles some workaround inside. What's the workaround? Um, the workaround is mostly for items that no longer. So apparently some people are getting this um, are getting this notification for items that are no longer on their computer, but they are still in launch demons. Okay. Launch D. Got it. Uh, and he gives the path where you can reduce the number of these notifications that you get, especially if they're ones that don't exist. But if they're like erroneous or something. Oh, nice find. Yeah, that's good. That's good. All right. Uh, yeah, Stephen, man, that, that, that tree noise. I'm going to stop talking about it, but, but n- <laughs> please know, folks, I hear it too. Yep, drives me probably crazier than most of you. And today's just not a day where I want that fever and high pulse rate and feeling foggy and trying not to cough it's like one more thing all right uh steven says shares uh a note from uh express vpn support we talked a few episodes ago about how the uh having some vpns enabled on some of our devices for some of us made things like AirDrop and even wireless CarPlay not work. Uh, ExpressVPN support, and it turns out it's it's mostly limited to ExpressVPN users. Uh, ExpressVPN support says to open the ExpressVPN app, tap options, go to settings, and disable network protection. This is the thing that makes sure that you're not leaking your IP address to uh, local devices when uh, and and that can be a good thing, but uh, you know the, um, the it it also means that your local devices, aka other AirDrop devices and CarPlay, don't see you. So uh, you need to you need to disable that particular feature with eVPN. We haven't experienced that with other VPNs, 
But uh, but thank you for that, Stephen. I appreciate you sharing that because that's um, that's important. That's important. Have you guys run into this at all with any of your uh, your VPN stuff? I use PIA. That's what I used last week in Vegas. So yeah. Right. Uh, I found a thing recently. I you know I I like uh, I like audio quality as as I might have mentioned during this episode once or twice already, and. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, Apple Music has a lot of their library in Dolby Atmos. And if I listen with my AirPods, uh, the versions of AirPods that are capable of doing spatial audio, you get the whole spatial audio thing. And it started hitting me. I was like, you know, I have a Sonos Dolby Atmos set up in my living room. Can I play Apple Music with Atmos there? And the answer is yes, but not the way that you would think, because I thought if I just played an Atmos capable track uh, on my Sonos arc in the living room, that it would do Atmos. Mm, nope, doesn't do that. However, if I play that through the music app on my Apple TV, then it will play the Atmos through my speakers. So it, thinking about it in, in abstract terms, the music, quote unquote, app for Sonos, the inbuilt integration does not yet yet. And I say yet with with hope, not with any knowledge, but does not currently support Atmos. However, the Apple TV music app does currently support Atmos. And so if you are playing it out to a speaker or set of headphones, you know, that supports Atmos, you will get Atmos sound uh, from the uh, music app on your Apple TV and it it makes a huge difference with some tracks. It's pretty cool. One one song I highly recommend listening to in Atmos is uh, The Doors, Riders on the Storm. You will hear, ju- oh. just as the song's like starting out, you'll hear Jim behind you whispering things. It's weird. It's like, it's a little bit creepy and, and really cool. So, um, I, yeah, I don't know. That's awesome. Yeah. I, um, as you talked about that, I wonder, does, uh, do you know... Does Spotify have an Apple TV app? Uh, I believe Spotify has an Apple TV app. Does Spotify have Atmos? I should test that. that I, well, I do not know. Yeah. Um, Spotify Atmos support. I'm looking here. Does Spotify over offer? Uh, uh, no. As of, well, that was two years ago. That doesn't really help me, does it? I don't know. I should test this, but I don't, I'm not seeing anything like I'm not seeing a string of articles about how great the Atmos is on Spotify. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, there, in, in fact, there's a post from December in the Spotify community forums where people are requesting that they add lossless audio and Dolby Atmos, uh, which are okay. two things that Spotify does not have. So, or at least didn't have as of December 7th, 2022. So my I'm guess sorry, is still it's don't. still a no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you guys know we just got back from Las Vegas. We were at CES. We were on all kinds of different Wi-Fi networks. We were on all kinds of different cell networks. And the one thing I can be sure of is that none of those people know what I was doing and what sites I was visiting when I was on those networks because I was using one of the best VPNs out there and easily one of the most affordable ones I've seen, PIA. 
PIA stands for Private Internet Access, and they take privacy seriously. Not only does PIA hide your IP address, it encrypts my entire connection. And this protects my internet activity from everyone. My internet provider, network admins, or any hackers out there just itching to steal my most sensitive info. And PIA is the world's most transparent VPN. They never record or store user data. And their no-logs policy has even been verified in court. Also, endless entertainment options. Not only does PAA work with all the major streaming services, but it's one of the few VPNs that supports P2P file sharing. So you can download just about anything. You get your own dedicated IP for 100% anonymity, and it's available for all platforms across all your devices. Right now, go to PIAVPN.com slash MGG to get a whopping 82% off your VPN service, plus four free months with a two-year plan. It comes out to around two bucks a month. You can't beat that. And there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. I know. That's PIAVPN.com slash MGG for 82% off private internet access. PIAVPN.com slash MGG. And our thanks to PIA for sponsoring this episode. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you've got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. That's what we did with Sadie, and we used LinkedIn Jobs to find Sadie. She's been with us a couple of years now, and I can't imagine not having her here. It's been fantastic, and there's no other way we would have found her other than using LinkedIn Jobs. And it's true. LinkedIn Jobs helps you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with their targeting tools. They go beyond resume data by using insights from your job post, your company, and their 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. Identify the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn Jobs and connect with them fast and for free. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all on one platform. Yeah, they've got these cool tools that just let you sift down, essentially, and figure out who it is you want to interview. And then, of course, hire. And that's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk with faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash MGG. That's linkedin.com slash MGG to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring this episode. All right. Uh, in the last episode, we had a an unplanned and uh, tangential conversation about things that the USB consortium or the USB info forum has been has been up to the d new developments and uh I was wrong, John, and I'm happy about this because it means that there are some good things. We dug into this with them uh, this week, and there are a couple of things to go through. So USB 4, which now has a name that's being deprecated, uh, but we'll call it USB 4 version 1, supports up to 40 gigabits per second. That's what we were uh, referring to last week. However, USB 4 version 2 supports up to 80 gigabits bi-directionally, meaning, you know, it, it will work for storage devices at that 80 gigabit per second speed, John. 
And there's even a way of getting it to support asymmetrical speeds. Like it'll do 120 gigabits per second in one direction and 40 gigabits in the other uh, in certain circumstances. I don't know what those would be, but uh, that, but, but that is, a, you know, a, a capability there as far as the differences. So that's all good news like this. And, and I wanted to get that clarified. The differences between Thunderbolt four and USB four are um, not much. In fact, according to our friends at the USB organization there, Thunderbolt 4 is really just an Intel branding program that requires some optional USB 4 version 1 features to be implemented, which is what Larry O'Connor talked about with us with like the hubbing and everything when we had him on the show a couple of years ago. So Thunderbolt 4 is still 40 gigabits per second. USB 4 version 2 is 80. Do you hate all these names, folks? I do. Thank goodness the USB folks understand this. They are renaming and rebranding USB to be 100% about speeds. USB 80 gigabits per second is what we just referred to as USB 4 version 2. USB 40 gigs per second. Yep. USB 20 gigs per second. USB 10 gigs per second. USB 5 gigs per second. So much simpler. And cables, John... I think are not only uh, are they, I mean, they're advising that these labels go on cables, but they uh, they have branding for the speeds on the cable, but also the power delivery capabilities because USB power delivery 3.1 enables up to 240 watts of power now. So there's there's a lot going on. And I like that they're they're simplifying the names or making the names more about what we care about and not some, you know, unrelated version numbers. So this is good stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they, they basically, yeah. So they added more voltages and to do the math here. So they added 28 volts, 36 volts and 48 volts to power delivery. Okay. Uh, and if you do the math, hmm, 48 volts times five amps is guess what? 240. So that's the math. Got it. Right. Because volts times. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah. And they told me for that's probably the most power that you're going to get ever. Oh, really? Because, well, I think anything beyond five amps, uh, there's a safety issue. <laughs> you don't want to oh. put too much power through the cable. Otherwise, it may it may go up and smoke heat up and <laughs> and melt yeah yeah i guess but that's five, five amps is a lot yeah mm -hmm. huh. pete were you gonna say something no okay no nope. nope. i'm not i don't dare touch this i'm not smart enough <laughs> well i don't i think that's the beauty no. of what they're doing here is is it, you don't to make, need to be a genius about it I'll, I'll give yeah i'll give you that and and boy i can't uh the, the one thing i that you talked about there is Label the cables. Yeah. So I'm not plugging in a cable and expecting it to do something, and then it's not. Now, well, is it a cable problem, or is there something wrong with the port on my laptop or my desktop? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So that's that's the probably the single best thing they can do is label that and then deprecating the meaningless names. Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. the, the meaningless names. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and... and they showed me one of the new properly labeled cables and I'm like, Oh, thanks. And he's like, no, that's, that's not for you. Okay. 
<laughs> it's a oh, prototype. Really, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't mind. Well, but I mean, thanks for changing this. Thanks yeah. for making this. Yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because honestly, I mean, the the version numbers uh, from past USBs told you nothing. Yeah, well, you had to know you had to know how to translate them to speeds in your head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which which is extra work. All right. While we're on the subject of USB, uh, listener Richard has a question about USB, doesn't he, John? Yes, he does. Um, All right. For some reason, I can't wrap my brain around the difference between USB three, Thunderbolt three, Thunderbolt slash USB four and Thunderbolt four. Well, hopefully the last discussion fixes that part of (laughs) this. Yes. Um, All right. So he says, I have a 27-inch iMac of 2017 vintage with two Thunderbolt 3 ports along with some regular USB 3.1 Gen 2 ports. Uh, I have a new 24-inch iMac 2022 with Thunderbolt and USB-C ports. I just bought a new OWC Thunderbolt dock to expand the 24-inch, so I think I'm set there. I would agree. Um, The issue is the 27-inch. I have a few USB items like printers, keyboards, chargers that are filling up the USB 3.1 ports. I want to plug in my backup drives, one for carbon copy and one for time machine. Both are USB 3. Can I buy a USB 3, 3.1, a USB-C cable or adapter to use those drives and ports on the older Mac? Um, I guess you could, but I would recommend... So, yeah, it's confusing, but hopefully we just cleared that up. Um, but, yeah, he's right. So, was, uh, so the iMac 2017, um, you have two Thunderbolt 3 ports, which can go up to 40 gigs, and four USB 3 ports, which can go up to 5 gigs. Um, I would do one of two things. So one, uh, so I'd, I'd get a hub or I guess we could call it a dock. So I found one item, um, anchor USB 3.0, seven port hub, um, with seven ports. So that is one choice. Uh, my only concern with that, Dave, is that, um, I mean, printers, keyboards, and chargers uh, that he was saying, um, the 5 gigabit connection should not be a bottleneck, but for drives, it could be. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It it could Um, be. So I found another one that is actually less expensive, but it's a Thunderbolt 3 to multi-port USB 3.0 hub adapter. So I think that would eliminate the bottleneck, right? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it is. I think it will, since it says, yeah, is that one of, one of the plugs is, it says is Thunderbolt three. So I'm assuming that that's going to go faster. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, is it Thunderbolt three to multi-port USB hub adapter? I'm looking at this thing on Amazon for 16 bucks. It Mm. depends on well it's no it says that it's a five gigabit per second connection so i this is not doing 40 gigabits Ah, no they're i think they put thunderbolt 3 in the amazon description just to you know for search purposes but i I don't think i think it's a usb it's a five gigabit usb device so i don't think it's any different than the the anchor hub that you found uh that basically is the same thing yeah all right so you need to get a dock to get 
higher speeds. Yeah, you'd need a, a Thunderbolt dock. Thunderbolt dock. Yeah, yes. it, exactly. And even then, you've got to you've got to be um, you've got to be careful picking the right one because even a dock that has Thunderbolt um, won't necessarily have USB ports that go faster than say five gigabits, right? Like it just because the dock itself is capable of, you know, the upstream is capable of 40. It doesn't necessarily mean that the, um, that the downstream ports are, I'm finding this anchor seven, seven, seven Thunderbolt docking station, mm. which has uh Thunderbolt for upstream. It's got Thunderbolt, uh downstream as well at 40 gigabits and then i'm looking to see it doesn't have any it has a usb cpd port but i'm not sure of the um the speeds on that port so it's a it's a it's a tough it's a tough thing to to find you've got to really dig into the specs of each of the devices that you're getting to make sure they're like, I know one of the anchor hubs cause I have it supports has a 10 gig USB C port on it. Uh, and I'm, I'm not able to find it. It might be discontinued. I'm not sure. Uh, oh, but OWC's Thunderbolt hub definitely does uh, or Thunderbolt dock. Sorry. Their hub is a different thing, but the OWC Thunderbolt four uh, dock has, uh, USB, a USB C port with uh, 10 gigabits. I am almost certain because I have one in front of me. Yeah, there's Thunderbolt ports on the back, and then on the front is a USB port that I believe will do 10 gigs. So we'll put links to that in the show notes too. But yeah, you've got to you've got to really dig into the specs of what you're buying, and you got to also dig into the specs of what you're going to connect to it. Because these things might not matter to you. Like you, five gigs might be more than fast enough for the devices that you're hanging off of. Mm-hmm. of so that was, yeah, that was the question I was going to yeah. jump in with was, okay, what, what does the average user need? What And differently, uh, w- a different way to ask the question, why why would I need at this, at this point, what do I need 40 gigabits for? Well. Or, or even 10 gigabits. Well, okay, so 40 gigabits is handy because you want, the fastest think of the 40 gigabits of thunderbolt Mm -hmm. as the like as the bus on your computer right like when you would plug uh, cards into slots in the old days right right so you're just bringing that outside of the computer but you want plenty of headroom on that Mm -hmm. so that the devices you connect are not throttled by the upstream back to the computer right so you've got 40 gigabits coming out great now, what am I hanging off of it? Okay, well, you know, I, I know that I have some USB drives that are, aren't going to push more than, more than you know, three to four gigabits. So that's great. I'll put those on the five gig ports. I know I have one SSD that's like maybe a RAID or something and it's going to go super fast. So I want that on the 10 gig port, right? Like this mm-hmm. is where that stuff would matter. Right. Uh, it, okay. and, but you need to, like, it's, it's not universal, it's you, you want to buy something that's very specifically serving your needs. Right. Exactly. And some of those ports, the links are in there. Some of the earths uh, that you were uh, putting in there was, yeah. uh, you know, they're two ninety nine. Those are not cheap hmm. pieces of gear. Why do I want, you know, will an $80 hub 
do the same thing that it, or will it meet my needs i guess is what i'm asking so right. l- look in there and go unless you've got a specific need for a 40 gigabit then you know you're going to be fine with something that runs five or ten correct correct yeah, yeah. so so i'm um, gonna i'm gonna put the uh the this is going to seem weird given our, our conversation, but I'm going to put a link to the OWC Thunderbolt three dock in uh, in the show notes, because that's the one I have sitting in front of me and it has, wait, can you still buy it? Yes. Uh, that's the one that has one USB 3.1 gen two type C port, AKA 10 gigabit per second USB. So this this might be helpful if you have a drive that needs that. Um, so we've got links to all of the things we just discussed at the show notes, which are at MacGeekUp.com yeah. or more specifically, MGG.FM slash 964. These pieces of gear are going to become more and more popular, too, because I su- was surprised. Uh, D- Debbie got a brand new iMac for Christmas. Okay. 20 the 24 inch i think nice yeah. how how many uh how many ports do you think are on the back of that thing oh uh, it, it might be only two right two usb c's like are you kidding me wow so you're gonna need these you're gonna yeah need these ports and docks to connect the gear you need to. i think there there is a model of the imac 24 inch that has four ports on yes. it yeah okay. i remember looking this up yeah there there's there's two different versions uh, the, the one with the, I'm looking to see the seven core GPU versus the eight core GPU. That might be the difference. Oh, okay. No, maybe not. Uh, connections and expansions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the one that, that you have with two ports, both of those are Thunderbolt four ports. Uh, gotcha. AKA USB four gen one, uh, 40 gigabits. We'll just call it that trying to use the new terms. Yeah. The, one, the, the, the bumped up model has four ports on it. Two of them are those and two of them are just, are not Thunderbolt. They are just USB three, 10 gigabits ports. Yeah. So, yep. So yeah, it, it gets super confusing, but yes, in either case, you're almost certainly going to need some sort of dock to connect to the things that you want to connect to. Right. Yeah. There's yeah. just, yeah. So. Oh, and, and just one other quick thing, a, a quick, if you've got one, Debbie asked me, I set it all up for her and she goes, oh, is this not a Bluetooth keyboard like the other one? Because I had taken the, it, it comes with one cable that's USB-C to lightning, which charges the keyboard, but she assumed that it was the keyboard input. I'm like, oh no, sweetie, you can, you can unplug oh, that. That's just to charge it. it up. So she made the assumption that it was a wired keyboard. So if you're out there and you've got a new one, it's not a wired keyboard. It'll charge your mouse. It'll charge your keyboard. And it'll charge your phone too. No, your phone too. That's right. But it's yeah. a, uh, it, it is a Bluetooth keyboard. So just so for anybody that's, that bought one, I, I go, wow, that's, that's a good question. And it never occurred to me that you might not realize that's a Bluetooth keyboard. That's a really good point. Yeah. 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 And even as someone who knows that my Magic Trackpad 2 is a Bluetooth device, mm-hmm. uh, I plug it in Lightning often to charge it because it tells me it's getting low. And then weeks will go by and it's still plugged in. And then I'll need to plug something else. And it's like, oh, look at that. Like, it's I can I can unplug this. You know, I've got one. Sitting. I've got one sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here we are in episode 964. 
Back in episode 946, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but yet here we are. Uh, we, John, you had prepped a question, I believe from listener Gary or a comment about resetting the privacy permissions in uh, Mac OS Ventura using the TCC util command. And uh, this is for when things are repeatedly asking you for, I need permission to, you know, control the screen or I need full disk access. When apps launch, they ask for these permissions. Ventura 13.1 remedied a lot of the issues with this for many people by uh, adjusting the timing of when the OS granted those permissions to folks. However, if your database gets screwed up, it's still going to be screwed up. Well, when I upgraded my, Mac mini, my M one mini in the office to 13 one. I think I had a day or two where things were fine. And then things were decidedly not fine. Uh, I, it was constantly asking me for these permissions and I could not grant them to them. Normally, if something wants permissions to control the screen or full disk access or whatever, it'll tell you open up system settings go into privacy and and find the, the you know the section the accessibility section or the full disk access section and slide the slider for my app from off to on there was nothing listed there like many of those not all of them but many of them including accessibility and full disk access the ones that mattered the most for me were blank like no apps listed at all i couldn't do anything i couldn't add an app there not a and I was like, oh, this is not what I have time for today. But I remembered we talked about this. So I went to the terminal and I did the the command, which I'll put in the, the show notes, sudo tcc reset all did not help. Didn't fix it. But I kept digging because I knew that this was out there. And I also knew that when Gary brought this up to us, John, he linked us to an article, which I also have linked from this show's notes about going in and deleting this TCC database entirely. Now to do that, I had to launch into recovery mode and launch the terminal. Cause you need like root access in a way that, that you don't normally have. Uh, and then there's a file you delete and it's like buried in your hard drive library, application support, com.apple.tcc, TCC DB. There was something else in there too. I wiped them out, restarted my Mac. And then of course, everything asked me for permission again, but only once and it started populating those lists and everything was good again. So I dodged a nuke and pave bullet by remembering what we had talked about here in Mac Geek Up, So I wanted to bring it up. I don't think I'm going to be as lucky, but I'm going to try to be as lucky with the iMac in the studio. Ever since putting Ventura on this, I have a core audio problem. You've heard me mention it a few times. Anytime a new app instantiates like a connection to core audio to do something with audio my cpu spikes for somewhere between seconds and minutes uh, and 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 then finally like comes around and and does what it needs to do but it's not this is not conducive to a podcasting machine and it doesn't seem to be a known problem it seems to be a dave problem so uh, and I'm, I don't have it on my other machines, but this is my only Intel Mac, so I don't know. But um, but yeah, I think I might need to I, I, buy I, a new computer. Well, I could buy a new. That might be the <laughs> easiest solution, Pete. Maybe that's the answer. Yeah, yeah. But I wish I could. 
I, I might, I might ask some friends who are more intimately involved with core audio than me. If there is a way of just saying, Hey, can I punt on just core audio and sort of start that from scratch? Because that might be my answer here. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I've installed a bunch of crap over the years. Let's be perfectly frank about this. So it's entirely possible that I, like this is, I'm sure something of my own doing let's, let's just, let's just own the problem. Right. But I don't know. You've got a stray bit somewhere. Something somewhere is, is causing a, a foobar. Yeah. Something. I think if, if that's not the title of the episode, I don't know what is, you know, no, something. It's, it, it's not foobar. It's snafu because it's normal situation. Normal. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, but it is kind of foobard, though. Oh, it that... is foobard. But... Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but if I had to do it again, I probably would choose not to upgrade to Ventura. I, I mean, yeah. certainly I mean, on this I mean, machine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that really broke... Well, there are two things that are broken on the my mini, which is my podcasting machine. So one was audio hijack. It's like, nope, won't work. Well, wait, 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 wait. You had an old version of audio hijack. Audio hijack works Correct. fine in Ventura. You just needed you needed the current version of software. I don't blame Ventura for that. I don't blame Rogue Amoeba for that. That's just okay. a normal progression of things. I just wanted to interrupt because I don't want people to think that there's some incompatibility. There's not. You just have to be running AH4. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah, but yeah. but the prior version wouldn't work. So. Sure. But that's that's normal. All yeah. right. Thanks for making that clear. Yeah, yeah. Um and then the other thing, and this and I have to fix this, is Carbon Copy Cloner is complaining. It's blinking in my menu bar. Oh. Saying all tasks are disabled, and I have to figure that out. Huh. The time machine is working. So, I wonder, uh, I mean, have you like, have you gone into it to see why the tasks are disabled? Not yet. Usually that only happens. I don't want to say only when I've seen that happen. It's when a drives details have changed the UDID or UUID, whatever it is of the drive uh, or, or, you know, the name of the drive or something like that has changed, but it might it likely is just as simple as going in and re-enabling mm -hmm. those tasks. It's probably just saying, hey, whoa, I noticed a change. You need to acknowledge this. Unless it's exactly the same problem as Audio Hijack. Are you not running mm -hmm. the current version of Carbon Copy Cloner? And if right. you're not, then, well, that would be the issue. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I'm not going to take care of it now. Yeah. Carbon Copy Cloner 6.1.4 is the version I'm running, if that helps you in your uh, in your in your endeavors here. Uh, while we're talking about our computers and living with older devices, because we all wind up living with older devices, Randy has a question because we're not always buying the brand new computer every single time. Uh, Randy has a question about his computer. He says, uh, I've been in the Apple camp since 86 when I purchased my first Mac and have been a user ever since. Just when I think I know everything Apple, I learn a new tip, skill, or insight. Uh, that's great. That's why we do the show. He says, I have a tech question. Uh, the background. I purchased the M1 Air during the holidays for $7.99 from Best Buy. That's a great deal. And since then, yeah. the price gone back up to $9.99. Yeah, it makes sense. 
I purchased it to replace my MacBook Air 2015 since that machine won't upgrade to Ventura and I want to keep my knowledge up on the latest Mac OS. My main computer is also a 2015. It's an iMac 27 inch. And like the 2015 Air, it will not upgrade to Ventura. I'm not considering up upgrading my iMac desktop to a new version uh, when one is eventually re released. Uh, okay. He says, uh, I am, however, considering returning the Air and using that money to purchase the newest iMac that will hopefully be released in 2023. Okay, maybe there was a not in there that shouldn't have been. Whatever. Uh, for my question, he says, instead of pursuing and waiting for the next iMac, I'm also considering using my M1 Air as a desktop with some add-ons like a monitor and a docking system. But I'm a little concerned with how long Apple will support updates for the M1 Air since it was originally released in 2020. I consider purchasing the next Mac Mini that will eventually be released. But again, who knows when that will be. If I go with the M1 Air as a desktop workstation... Do you have a recommendation for a monitor and docking station, or can you point me to a resource that can provide these options? Um, we can. I, monitors are a weird thing because they're, they're, things are constantly changing. Uh, so let's let's talk. And, and that's a question better answered in like Discord. So join MacGeekUp.com slash Discord. That's a great place to talk about the very specific nuanced things that lead us to different monitor purchases. And it really depends on what you're used to and what you need to do. But to answer the question about your concerns about the uh, M1-based Macs I, or your M1 Air, I think we should not treat it as a computer in an island, but, but yet a computer in a family because it is in a family of all M1-based Macs. Yes, the M1 Air was the first of the M1-based Macs, but it's not the only one. And in fact, if you go to Apple's website, you can still buy brand new that M1 Air the iMac 24-inch that uh, Pete just talked about getting uh, for, for Debbie. All those models have an M1. And the Mac Mini, the current rev of the Mac Mini, also M1. So here in 2023, you can order all three of those computers and get them, and they have M1 chips. Uh, the 14- and 16-inch MacBook Pros still use the M1 Pro, and the Mac Studio uses an M1 Max or an M1 Ultra. But those are different SOCs, so maybe let's not lump those in. But still... Three of probably the most popular model Macs today are all sold with an M1. So I think we've got a pretty big safety net in terms of uh, how long Apple will keep supporting and doing software updates for the M1 Macs. I, I don't I don't think we're like, you know, one to three years away from those just being end of life. I think we've got probably at least five years, maybe more uh, the M1 is a, uh, you know, like it is a fantastic chip. It's faster than I need it. In fact, you know, when we were in Vegas doing, uh, you know, we were all sitting there crunching videos that we were putting up and, uh, you know, Pete and I on our M1s, it was just like butter. And, you know, John on your, on your um, Intel Mac, like the fans would spin up and it was, you know, probably like five times slower. Like, I mean, the M1 is ridiculously fast, even today, even you know, two years later, I mean, it was late 2020. So, you know, essentially a 2021 device, but, but, you know, two plus years later here, it's still a super fast chip. So yeah, I, I think you're fine where you're going to run into limitations of the M1 specifically is it natively supports a maximum of two screens. And what that means is 
with your air, the built-in screen is one of those. You cannot like disable that screen and hook up two externals. So natively support is for the internal screen and one other. Now that might be enough for you and that might be fine. But if you want more screen space, maybe return the M1 Air and get an M1 Mini. And then that way you can put two external monitors on it. Um, but, uh, but you know, you can use display link, which is like uh, display graphics over USB. It's a little bit slower, but for most of what, you know, you, you would do, if it's not gaming, then display link is going to be fast enough and it's going to be fine for most purposes. So Ooh. yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat it. I think, I think the M1 chip, it has a lot of longevity still. Dave, my, my crystal ball, based on the fact that I, it was 11 years with the iMac that we just replaced, was yeah. we've got a decade with these M1s before they well stop supporting them. I could be wrong. I mean, that seems to be the thing. I've never, let me back up. You know, I started in 2007 with my first MacBook Pro. Sure. And that thing was supported for a long, long time. You know, of course, they had just gone to Intel. Yep. And, and all, but, uh, that, that was supported for a very long time. And that's, you know, people complain about the cost of Macs versus PCs, but I think by and large, the Mac products last twice as long. Um, I, I will point out that it, it, even right here in Randy's note, his 2015 Macs will not support Ventura. So that's, right. well, right. that's true. That so, That's true that they did, but, they did make the shift to the M1s. That's the thing. And that doesn't do, you know, you have to have an M1 to get Ventura to make it uh, work. No. Don't you? No, I'm running, no? I'm running Ventura on a, on a 2019 oh, right. yeah, iMac duh. in front of okay. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. So it's, but, yeah. but so, I, you know, five... I think we've got at least five years on the M1, but yeah. probably longer. I, I really yeah. think it's probably longer than that, just because they're selling yeah. them new today. That's, yeah, and that's yeah. true. At some point, they do have to draw the line and cut and move forward and not, or, you know, you you shackle yourself if you make something backward compatible forever. Forever. Yeah, no, you you can't. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, but yeah, you talked about the, the capability of the machine. I was shocked. I had a brand new, nice 20, I think it was a 2018. MacBook Pro, 16-inch, and my nephew came along two years ago with a MacBook Air with the M1, and he was smoking my machine. Oh, yeah. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, the yeah. Air? I got a MacBook Pro. That's not how this works. <laughs> yeah, for for all of you out there, and I know there's tons of, of yeah. folks who have yet to make the leap to M1 because it's just, you know, like, like John, you bought your 16-inch MacBook Pro in early 2020, so... You know, it's only it literally is only three years old. Right. You know, and you bought it right when it came out. It wasn't even something that had been on the shelf for a year or something. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, so it it's only now at the earliest that folks in your position would be considering, you know, a, a replacement up to a, an M1. And, and I, even for you, my guess is you're you're I don't know. Are you considering an M1? Like, would your would your next purchase be to replace your desktop Mac or your laptop? Uh, I'm probably going to do both. Well, there you go. That's the way. Attaboy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Once, um, yeah, uh, uh, one of the keys fell off my keyboard, um, right. on my MacBook pro. Um, yeah, so I gotta get that fixed, but once I get that fixed and, uh, get Apple care folks. Right. Well, and you'll have a 90 day warranty 
beyond because your Apple Care I think ends uh, at the end of the month, right? But you'll have a ninety day warranty at least on the keyboard because of that repair happening now. And so, right. So once I fix the keyboard, then I'm then I'm probably going to trade it in. Yeah, or or sell it on the open market, right? Like you you'll get more for it because yes. you can sell it with a little bit of a warranty if you want to go through that hassle. And I I totally get that sometimes it's easier to just like you know. Now here's. Something interesting the genius told me, which I did not know. Maybe you knew about, but he's like, oh, you know, you can extend Apple Care now. I'm like, really? Really? Yeah. I don't. That, that, that's what the genius told me. Huh. See, I thought that was just my car when the guy was calling me yesterday <laughs> and the day before yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your car warranty. Yeah, yeah. I keep getting calls about that, too. Extend your Apple Care Plus coverage. Well, I, I mean, if I knew about this, I forgot about it. Um, if you paid up front for an Apple Care Plus plan for your uh, phone, they, they you can purchase new coverage that renews monthly or annually. If you paid for a Mac, you might be able might be able to purchase new coverage that renews annually. Oh yeah, look at that! Purchase new coverage within thirty days after your original coverage ends. To find out if you can purchase the new coverage, go to mysupport.apple.com and follow the on-screen instructions. Your plan coverage may continue beyond 24 or 36 months uh, until canceled. Fascinating. Huh? Interesting. That's great. So, yeah. So, uh, so is it worth is it to the- John to either sell that machine this month and give the new owner the opportunity to buy, uh, you know, the extended Apple Care? Or are you even better off doing the one year extension and selling it with a full year of Apple Care? Like, I mean, again, Mm-hmm. You got to balance the the headache of of going through all that with with the, the benefits yeah. on the sale, but yeah, I'd be more likely to buy one that has a warranty on it. hundred percent. Go, you, you can buy it and then try and get the warranty. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. You know, yeah, I don't maybe. know. Right? right? You know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. and then you know, and John made the gave the advice. You know, get Apple Care. I generally do on my iPhone and on my laptop. I oh. never do on like the Mac Mini. Okay. It's sitting in one place, but I, but I'm more likely to damage my phone or my laptop, I think, than than my Mac Mini. All right, and John, what do you what do you put Apple Care on? Um, I've never put it on a desktop. I've always put it on my MacBook Pro, and I've never gotten it for my phone. So I've all, well, I say I've always, my intention is to get it for every Mac that I own and I've never done it on an iPhone or an iPad. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. Just cause it's, it, it's pretty expensive on the phone. And so I, I just, I, I never, I, we insure ourselves, we self-insure, right? Because if, I mean, yeah, I, like, sure. like you, I've got, you know, four now five people in my family for whom i i i'm in charge of buying their phones as the kids move out of the house that will that will uh, hopefully change but uh but at least you know with the current round that that's how it was and so to pay for apple care on four phones simultaneously was a huge grand almost correct and so it was like well i I, i'm gonna hedge my bets and assume that at most, one of us will break our phone in any given cycle. And as it's turned out, it's it, it's only been one of us every few cycles that's broken the phone. So it's worked out better. But but it's it's a like that's an eyes wide open scenario. I realize we could all break our phones next week. And, uh, you know, hang on one second. 
Just yeah. mm-hmm. knock on was, some wood. But there you go. But um, I put it on my iMacs and my Mac Mini. I put it on my desktop machines because those machines are no different than laptops in terms of the complexity mm-hmm. of repairing them. Mm-hmm. They are la- they are flat little things. They are built in layers. Uh, th- their heat dissipation isn't necessarily great. And like buying on all of my iMacs has paid off substantially. Interesting. Okay. Yep. Well, yep. I may still be within the window to be able to put it on Debbie's iMac. But, I, uh, I screwed up. I completely forgot that the we went through a, a shuffling of laptops a couple of years ago where I had my M1 Air and then I got the M1 Max, whatever it is, uh, M1 Pro air or m1 pro pro and i gave the air to someone here i can't remember maybe my daughter i think my daughter uh and i put apple care on the new pro and then i was like this is too much machine for me i really like the uh i like the um the size of the air so i gave that pro to my son and i bought another air for me and i neglected to put apple care on the air that i use and so that but that was a mistake like that was not intentional yeah. so i'm just you know whatever i'm rolling the dice and i'm not now, i remember years ago you used to be able to buy discounted apple care it was like on mm. ebay or something like that is that over with that's done you could buy yeah. it sometimes from small dog electronics small and, dog that's who and was, you could yeah. buy it from on ebay uh but when apple care plus was rolled out that all went away. So okay, yeah, yep. That's too. Sorry, Pete. I cut you no, off. No worry. I was just saying that's too bad. Yeah, yeah, Oops. it is. Yeah, no, it's it, it's fine. It's um, uh, yeah, it's I I I used to like it when uh when when we could do that because you you yeah. you could get a good deal. I mean, you could save thirty forty percent sometimes on the cost yeah. of Apple Care. Yeah, no, that was those were those were the days. You know, when it comes to covering all things tech, boy, do we have a show for you. Every week, This Week in Tech gives you a no-holds-barred deep dive into how big tech influences our culture and our lives. You can join Twit.tv's Leo Laporte and their ever-changing panel of journalists and experts every Sunday as they break down, and often disagree, on the latest tech you can subscribe to This Week in Tech wherever you get your podcasts. I love this show. I listen to this show, and sometimes I'm on this show. So you got to go check it out. Again, look for This Week in Tech wherever you get your podcasts. And our thanks to Leo and the Twit.tv team for doing this swap with us. All right. Uh, I think we should just stick with some questions here. We've got more cool stuff found from CES. We'll, uh, we'll cue that up for next week. But, uh, but we're, we're doing good here with these questions. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go to uh, to Jeff here. Jeff, you know, while we're talking about uh, sort of revamping our advice here, Jeff asks, he says, back in episode 840, you gave advice for formatting external drives. You said at the time that you do not recommend formatting external drives as APFS, and you both recommended using Mac OS Extended. I'd like to give me your I'd like for you to give me your updated slash current advice now that we're all using Ventura. He says, I own several external SSDs. I have a couple two terabyte drives formatted as Mac OS Extended, a.k.a. HFS Plus, and they've worked fine for over a year. I just purchased a new four terabyte SSD and at first tried to format it as APSFS. It failed repeatedly, so I formatted it as Mac OS Extended. And that took a few attempts 
but now the formatting seems to complete correctly. After using it as a new four terabyte drive for an hour or so, it disappeared from the desktop of my M1 Pro MacBook Pro. Disk Utility shows it, but it's not there. So what do you think about two things? Do you have advice on this? And what do you think about this? So, uh, Jeff, I think you need to replace that drive. Uh, that the, the, like, If it wouldn't format and as APFS and took a couple of tries to format as extended and then fell off the thing, I think it's a... I think it's just a bad drive or a bad cable. I mean, it, you know, swap that out and see, but seems like just a, you know, DOA drive. As far as APFS on externals, I realized when Jeff's question came in that we have not really offered an update to our years old advice. And uh, it is high time that we revisit this. I, these days, I don't, I, uh, let me let me put it this way. Any SSDs that I get, be they internal or external, I would format as APFS unless I know for certain that I am going to need to use it with machines that don't support APFS, you know, be they like, you know, Windows machines or old, old Macs or whatever. But that would be an exception. In general, APFS is what I do. As far as rotational drives. Now, I'm not I, I don't. I'm not in a situation where I have to make this decision. Um, But if I were, I think I would probably try APFS on a rotational drive. If I bought an external rotational, Um, I would do some speed tests on it and make sure that it's like up to snuff and all that. But I feel like there's more benefits to APFS than downsides, even on rotational drives. APFS wasn't really built with rotational drives in mind, at least not from the foundation. Obviously it works with them. So I don't know that, those are my thoughts. What do you guys think? I did an experiment a while ago uh, formatting an external drive. Uh, I think an SSD. Okay. Um, from our common carbon copy cloner. And I formatted it as APFS. And I also formatted it as Mac OS extended and did a benchmark. APFS was slightly... Um, almost insignificantly, a little slower running, you know, like black magic. That's typical. That's normal. Yeah. APFS is mm-hmm. slower, but, but it has all of the, uh, you know, the, the, the snapshots and mm-hmm. all of the other advanced things that, like you said, it, it might be insignificant. Yeah. Yeah. So which so, way um, did you go with it? Did you stick with it? Uh, all my external drives are APFS now. There you go. There you go. <laughs> And my rotationals are all in my Synology, so I don't worry about that. Yeah, those are those are probably hopefully BTRFS in your Synology, <sighs> or are you still on EXT four? I, th- um, I think one I'm on. Okay, BT- yeah. uh, I'll have to check, but it doesn't really matter. Well, it does. <laughs> it was, I, I mean, well, BTRFS is their per- preferred. Yeah, if yeah I think I'm. I think I may have reformatted. Uh, as BTRFS. The the only bad news is they don't have a migration tool, which is nope. sad. But. I agree. <laughs> yep. No, I, I, BTRFS, it's like the difference between the, the, the difference on Synology between EXT4 and BTRFS is similar to the differences between uh, macOS Extended and APFS. On Synology, BTRFS has the. Um, it's got the ability to do snapshots and 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 just be more efficient about those sorts of things. So, yeah. What about you, Pete? 
I'm on APFS just on my uh, solid state drives. I think I put, I, I just had, remember a couple shows back, I had that little thumb drive that I was featuring. I think I did that in APFS as well. Okay. I'm using that as a, uh, as a backup. I, I haven't looked to see, I think, I hesitate to bring this up lest we put another topic in the show, but uh, you were talking about Carbon Copy Cloner. I've always been a super-duper user, and um, I haven't gone back to see, can I use, can I make it bootable? I don't remember. Didn't we lose the ability to make a bootable external drive? Yes. I mean. Easily, anyway. Easily. You can hack it, but. Correct, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm pretty much just on uh, Time Machine, for lack of a better word, uh, using. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, yeah. So it's all APFS now, and then whatever's in the Synology. Uh, when I first powered that up several years ago, is is what's there. I couldn't tell you. I mean, I could go and find out, but yeah, just yeah. Um, I, I've used APFS for as long as I can remember now. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, there you go. I um one thing. Speaking of time machine, that I really do like about Ventura and the new system settings. I mean, I don't like that Time Machine is buried inside the general tab, but if you go into options for Time Machine, you can set it to automatically back up every hour, every day, or every week. And, you know, for my laptop, once a week is far more than enough because I'm syncing my documents folders. You know, I sync them to my Synology cloud, but, you know, you sync them to iCloud or Drive or, you know, Dropbox or whatever you, you know. All that stuff is sort of happening automatically. So a once a week backup and it works. Time Machine is more reliable for me on Ventura than it had been on my laptop uh, previously. So, you know, Ventura is not all yeah. bad, just mostly. And then this, here's, here's a blast from the past. I still have up and running on my machine, Time Machine Editor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, yeah. Yeah. Nice. I find that less necessary with. Now. Yeah. yeah, because because I can set it to just do every day and then that's fine, you know, but mm-hmm. but yeah, I just looked on this machine. I'm still set to manually, which means that I'm using time machine editor is is, mm-hmm. you know, to to control it. And, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. That's a that's a good one. Um, time machine editor. Yep, it'll yeah. be there because that's how we do it here. Um, listener Joe has a question about filtering mail. He asks. I, I say as I vamp for time trying to find this. <coughs> hey, uh, watch that mute button. He says, I install the home security camera system at my home and I get image snapshots automatically sent to an email account I set up just to receive this data uh, anytime someone approaches my front door. It's proven itself quite useful, but the number of snapshots can be daunting some days, uh, up to 20 alerts. You should see my inbox. Uh, I don't want to turn it off because it's proven to itself to be the best way for me to know what day or time to go back and check video footage. All right. I guess because I'm filtering it on the front end, the motion detection of the system works pretty good, but it doesn't tell me if an alert is worth checking out. Fair. Now that I've laid the groundwork, here's my Mac OS question. I set up a Mac OS mail filter to automatically move these alerts to a filed mailbox so that my inbox isn't inundated. It works fine on the Mac, but I noticed that I cannot filter these alerts to that mailbox when I'm checking mail on my iPhone. Today, I realized that's because I'm using IMAP. And when my Mac OS mail account is open on the Mac, the snapshots are moved because the filters are running. So I thought, 
Why don't I just keep the Mac OS mail app open all the time and let it do its filtering all the time? Are there any risks or consequences of doing that? Uh, for what it's worth, I automatically reboot my Mac weekly to keep it running smoothly, which didn't seem to be the case before the weekly reboots. I, I agree. There's a, there's a tip for you. Make sure you reboot your Macs weekly and you have to, if you want to do that now, uh, if you want to configure that to happen automatically in Ventura, you have to do it from the terminal because they've removed the user interface for it. All that said, I, I've, um, I've experienced similar things for similar reasons. And I, I would say uh, there's nothing. I leave mail running on my Mac all the time. If you let your Mac sleep, however, then it might or might might not wind up doing the filtering when you know when you would like it. it it's only going to do the filtering when it wakes up to sort of check mail and do its thing, and that might or might not happen frequently enough for you. Also, if you're rebooting your Mac weekly, especially in an automated way, but even if not, uh, if you're doing something like this, you'll want mail auto launch on your Mac at startup so that uh, mail is always running even after that scheduled reboot. Um, but no, I don't, I don't have any issue with running mail full time. Um, I have found that like Safari relaunching mail regularly, even daily is a good thing. So I accomplished that with my, I have my start the day keyboard maestro macro that launches a bunch of apps that I use on my Mac. But the first thing it does is it quits mail. If it's running, it can sense to see if it's running. And if it is, it quits it. And then the last thing that it does is it checks to see if mail, it waits until mail is not running anymore. And then it launches it again so that I am forcing mail to relaunch once a day. And like relaunching Safari once a day, that has turned out to be a very good thing. Um, so we've answered, or at least I think I've answered your question. However, this is not how I would do this. Um, there's a better way. Do the filtering on your mail server. Uh, most mail servers, including iCloud, have, have server-based rules, and that's going to be a much better way to do this. That way it doesn't matter if your Mac is running. It doesn't matter if your internet connection on your Mac is good. Like All of that is, is, is irrelevant. Uh, just let the server do the filtering. It'll happen immediately when it hits there, and then you can have it go into one of your iMac mailboxes, and you're good to go. So that, that's, that's how I would approach this. I don't know. But John, do you, uh, you have any thoughts on this? Um, I do the same as you. <laughs> I should have server-based rules, but I don't. I oh, have you don't? Them on. Okay. No, I, uh, my rules are synced across these two machines. Interesting. And yeah, and usually my, my MacBook Pro is on. Yep. Uh, and it's funny because, yeah, sometimes if I'm out and about and I look at mail on my uh, iPhone, every now and then I'll see a message disappear, and it's like, where did it go? Oh. That's yeah. right. One of my rules just ran. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I I find I've moved almost all of my rules to the cloud. I, I use FastMail as my main I, I, mail provider. And so I've moved all my rules to FastMail. There's a few that uh, I want mail to file things locally on my, on my Mac and get them off the IMAP server. Mm -hmm. So those rules, for obvious reasons, hopefully uh, – have to run on the Mac that it's going to archive to, but otherwise, yeah, I run them all on the cloud and it didn't take me long. Cause I was like you, I mean, I had them in mail first and it, it maybe took an hour, you know, for me to, to replicate all those rules in the, in the cloud and just turn them off. And then it's been, life's been grand ever since. So, um, any more on this one? I, well, quickly. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I do the, uh, uh, 
as much as I possibly can at at the server as well, using my mail server with my interface with my my not my internet service provider. I'm blank. Uh, my web server provider. Yeah, that, from whom I lease that. So I yeah. do the, I do most of my mail things there for that very reason that you know I want it to be on my phone the same as it is on my laptop and and so yeah that's the way to do it. I, I, but I did want to touch on something that you you kind of glossed over, which was you have to go into terminal to reboot automatically. I'm asking, thinking out loud here, won't shortcuts do that as well? Can't you run an automation in shortcuts? To, Reboot weekly. Um, I think so. Maybe because I've I've pulled up shortcuts and I've got three restarts. One's via SSH, and it, I've looked at that and it said, "Oh, scripting's disabled." So I clicked, "Hey, enable scripting." Enable scripting. My concern is that I may go off the air here any second. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 See ya. Um, but I, I I think you could probably use shortcuts and find a way to reboot weekly. Huh. Haven't uh, played with it yet. It's just a thought. Throw throwing it up there. Somebody somebody who's an expert on shortcuts, I'm sure, will write us. Yeah. Um I'm I'm looking for Apple's knowledge base article on this because Apple's uh advice is to with Ventura schedule your Mac to turn on or off in terminal. And so I'll put a link to that in the okay. show notes if you want to do it. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, in, in theory, in theory, you could do this in, in shortcuts. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like, you know, it starts off with uh, text and then as my password, set the variable password to text and then yeah. it runs the script pseudo dash S shutdown dash R now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would, that would, that would, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That would do it. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, that's not, I, I, well, it would do it. That's, that's not a great way to restart your Mac. That's, that's okay. a way to restart it. That's better. It's one step better and a, and a, a, a remarkable <laughs> one, step, one step better. better than cutting its throat with Correct. a power switch. Okay. But it is like way better than cutting its throat with the power switch. Yes. Sure. But it doesn't quit your apps properly. It uh, just force quits all your apps and then properly restarts the mac so interesting okay. yeah so um if you use pm set which is what apple advises you to use in the terminal you can schedule it and this is what the energy saver uh or its various analogs in system preferences prior to ventura used to do it would just it would it was a user interface for telling for setting this terminal command that would do it and if you set that before you upgraded to ventura like i have then all those restarts still happen. You just can't control them from the the GUI anymore. You have to go to the terminal to sure. to to schedule them. But but yeah, I I would I think this is probably better than the shortcut, especially that shortcut. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think if the other one has anything different. I had two there. Yeah. No, the other one's different. It just didn't set the password for it to log back in, I guess. Right. So Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Do you have File Vault on your Mac? If you have file if you have File Vault, then it it will it will it will restart, but then you will be waiting at the file vault screen when you re encounter your Mac. Right. right? right. Um, unless you jump through the hoops to tell it for that reboot to authenticate and, and let it sure. go. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
Yep. That's yeah. Which like, yeah, I think I, I could be wrong. Everybody who's driving around with a laptop, you should have File Vault on if you've got any sensitive information on there at all. Well, I no? I, I mean, it, it's it's not a bad idea. I'm not yeah. sure it's as urgent as your comment stated. And the reason I feel that way is your drive, your SSD in your Mac uh, is yeah, encrypted a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. File vault is you own the keys versus Apple owns the keys. Gotcha. Right. And, yep. and yep. so like, yes, I was thinking back to the days of the, rotational drives you could you could yank it out of the machine correct throw a throw a uh, cable on it and look at the drive you can't do that anymore yeah right yeah. right you can't do that anymore so yeah. yes if someone gets physical access to your entire computer i mean they would in theory need your password to log in mm-hmm. which would protect you anyway so yeah i like I do have File Vault enabled on my laptop, and every Friday it auto restarts on Friday mornings, which is awesome. It it will restart even when it's closed, um, but uh, but when I wake it up, it's sitting there at the you know File Vault screen, so I have to authenticate as me, and then and then it continues booting up. But like my M1 in the office, I don't have File Vault on. So yeah. it just restarts itself. You Unle- may have put this in before, but now that we've talked about it, do you mind putting that back in the show notes that this, the terminal script that you've run to make that so I can grab it and do it myself to, to make <laughs> your Mac restart. Yeah. Every yeah it's already there. Everything. It's in the oh, show notes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I put a link there. to Apple's knowledge base article, uh, schedule your, oh, Mac yeah, yeah, there you go. There it is. Yeah. Well, you're fast. Uh, you know, it's what we do. What man. you do. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, it's good stuff. I, I like, uh, I like where today's show went. And yeah. now it's time for today's show to go. Oh. It's, it's how it works. In fact, we're so overtime. I know. I know. But we made it. Despite the... Uh, the creeping crud? The creeping crud, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just hope it's all gone before I go to Italy at the end of next week. So, But I think, right. it, I mean, timing-wise, I think it will be. Like, it's all started earlier this week for me, so... Yeah, keep testing negative, I'll be happy. But I am not going to see my elderly mother in the nursing home until right. I'm sure that I am not contagious. Yeah, well, and that's... With whatever it is I have. Yeah, quite frankly, that's the only reason I bothered to test was yeah. my dad's in the hospital because he broke his leg. So if you want to send your thoughts to somebody, send them to our send. Our, our parents in the, in the hospital. Indeed. Pete and I will make it through this. But yeah. you can also send your thoughts to us, but prioritize them. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I... Um, I, I, you know, I didn't want to go visit him knowing that I have something uh, without testing for COVID. And it was like, oh, yeah, look at that. Brought, brought COVID <laughs> home from CES. Son nice. of a bad word. Son, son of a gun. <laughs> I kind of knew. I mean, this is my third time with it. And it was like, because I tested the day before and was negative and was like, yeah, but this feels exactly like what it's been before. I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. Enough. So Anyway. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for hanging out with us. Make sure to uh, send your thanks to Cashfly. They provide all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thank our sponsors by visiting them. It's really that simple. You don't have to buy anything. That's between you and them. But we, it are, it's our job to convince you to visit them. So PIAVPN.com slash MGG. LinkedIn.com slash MGG. You can find our other sponsors and other deals at MacGeekDev.com slash sponsors. 
I talk anymore, I'm going to cough. John, what can we say to him? What can we say? Well, what I can say is I'm very sorry for both of you because it sounds like you did get caught. Don't do it. Made up.